Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Today, I want to define what an evidence-based coach actually is, um, and then teach you guys a little bit about what the principles are in which make an evidence-based coach evidence-based. Um, and, and I shouldn't even say evidence-based coach because you can be an evidence-based trainee or an evidence-based dieter because there's a lot of people listening to this podcast that maybe you're not a coach. However, you are coaching yourself. You're training yourself. You are trying to weed through all the things that you find online and decide what is valid, what should be followed, what is safe, um, what is going to get me the best results possible as fast as possible? Um, and that's what I want to talk about today. So even if you are not necessarily an evidence-based coach yourself, you can still be an evidence-based trainee or an evidence-based dieter. And this also gives you almost like the rundown, the blueprint, the list of things that you should be looking out for if you are searching for an evidence-based coach. Because if you are not being coached and you want to be coached, Hint, hint, click the link in the description, apply for our coaching, world renowned. But if you are looking for a coach, there's certain things that you should be looking out for to make sure that this coach is a good fit for you, not only from a standpoint of personality type and communication and connection and things like that, but also from a sense of using the science in a practical and applicable way to get you where you want to be the right way, the safe way, the sustainable way. Um, so first and foremost, we have to define what an evidence-based coach is or being evidence-based, I should say. What is being evidence-based, quote-unquote? I believe that being evidence-based is understanding how to – well, understanding how to do all the shit I'm going to tell you guys about today. But to, to simplify the definition, I think being evidence-based is is making sure that you understand both the science and experience and you use them in a practical, sustainable, and science-backed way. So being evidence-based means that you are um, taking into consideration both science and experience and you are applying it in a way that an individual can get results um, sustainably, functionally, and, and, and sometimes quickly um, with what you are providing. So being evidence-based doesn't necessarily mean reading studies and providing that study content to somebody because a lot of times studies aren't always going to be 100% accurate. And we're going to touch on that here in a bit. Um, and I shouldn't say accurate, but applicable. Um, and it also doesn't mean that just because you have a ton of experience in the gym that you're being evidence-based because there's a lot of bro science that still goes on and, and that's 100% only backed up from years in the gym. So being evidence-based means that you are using what evidence provides us with to create sustainable and successful results with your body or your client's body. And, and what evidence, quote-unquote, provides us with is, is both science and experience. Um, so And I, and I want to put that definition out there, and, and I'm going to talk about a little bit about that. Um, but just I want to put that out there because I think that a lot of people assume evidence-based coaching means that you're just knee-deep in the research. You're constantly studying things. You're, you're all about the science. Um, and we are. We're all about the science, and, and it's a huge thing for us. But I think it's important to understand that being evidence-based isn't just 
reading research and of trying to regurgitate it to your clients in, in a program format. It's actually being able to articulate what has worked for you uh, from experience and then also what's working in the research and how that applies to somebody because it's different. Now, the first step in being more evidence-based is understanding where to search for information. So I think that there's a lot of people who, you know, I get this question all the time. What book should I read or what website should I check out? What blog should I read? What podcast should I listen to? Um, the thing I always tell people, which is it sounds like I'm being a dick, but I'm not trying to, Google it. Google evidence-based fitness, evidence-based nutrition. You will find a ton of information. You will find a ton of resources where you can start digging through people's websites, digging through content, digging through podcasts, videos, whatever it may be. And when you do that, you're going to better understand where you should be looking for stuff. Uh, but I'm going to give you a rundown of some um, different ones and kind of give you brief reviews. Um, I'm a big fan of Mass Research Review. Mass Research Review stands for Monthly Application of Strength Sport. And I, I believe that's what it stands for. And it is ran by Eric Helms, Eric Trexler, um, Greg Knuckles, and Mike Zordos, uh, most of which have PhDs. And they basically take research studies and they review them. And, and I'm a part of their email list, so I actually see some of the more in, in, in our CSO, Brandon, uh, which I'll get to our content here in a sec. But our, our researcher or our CSO, who's a researcher, Brandon Roberts, he uh, sends me this sometimes too. But it's like they have like Google Sheets or files with just thousands of studies. Like literally every single month, there are hundreds of studies done on training, muscle, strength, fat loss, health, blood work, hormones, all these different topics. And they do the job of, of weeding through all this information and then better yet, describing it in a uh, not only an, a less overwhelming format, but also a more applicable format. Because if you read actual research studies, you take up – like I, I actually think most of you guys listening should do this. Go, go on to PubMed. So Google search PubMed. You'll find the website. Search anything you want. Search intermittent fasting. Search metabolic syndrome. Search diabetes. Search um, muscle biopsy, research any of those things and try to really read a research paper in its driest form and take out the information from it. It is night and day difference of what will go on through your head compared to one of these researchers because this is what they do, which is exactly why we have Brandon on our team is because he deciphers research for us so we can be at the top tier of evidence-based coaches in the industry. But uh, Mass Research Review does a really, really good job at this. They're not the first ones to have a research review. Um, Alan Aragon was the first one that I was ever a part of, Alan Aragon's research review. Um, it's the first one I ever knew about, so he might be one of the pioneers of, of doing research reviews like this. Um, James, James Krieger has one, weightology.net, or another really, really good one that I've been a part of. Um, but Mass is probably my favorite um, I, for two reasons. One, I, I've always really enjoyed um those guys content specifically uh eric eric and greg um i haven't dug into enough of mike zordos's content because he does less social media less blogging and stuff like that um but his articles are very valuable inside of mass research review so nothing against him but the other guys are a little bit more outspoken on social media and podcasts and, and blogging and stuff like that and i've always been a huge fan um, not to mention eric trexler is my coach for my training and nutrition so i really enjoy going through their their application of these and their interpretations more than anything because, you know, my interpretation of a study is going to be completely different than an actual researcher who is also a coach. And that's the big thing is these guys are actually coaches with, um, I don't, 
think their rosters are huge, but they work with people and they have worked with people. And I think it makes their interpretations a little bit more applicable for you, the listener, whether you are a coach or you are just a trainee yourself. Um, so Mass Research Review is, is one place that I would highly recommend everybody going for, for where to search for good information. The next place is obviously tailoredcoachingmethod.com. I probably should have said that one first. Um, we put out a blog almost every single week. We put out uh, three to four podcasts every single week. We put out four newsletters, four to five newsletters every single week, which is usually revolving around something training, nutrition, or mindset um, and lifestyle. So definitely recommend you jumping on the newsletter, which if you go to the website and sign up for the newsletter, you also get a copy of the Tailored Nutrition Method which is my ebook. Um, it's like 86 pages of nutrition content, science-based nutrition content. So go dive through that because it's completely free. And then you'll get on my newsletter and then you'll get free emails from me throughout the week, um, which are really, really helpful. They're not salesy newsletters. I make a point to stay organic and stay authentic and just give you guys value. So highly recommend you go check that out. Um, but our website's great because we have all those things. We do videos every single week. Um, usually now they're called office talk. So we do office talk videos where I break down topics, which you guys can send in and I can record videos on. Um, and then we also have a monthly research review ourselves. So our research roundup usually grabs two to four studies. Brandon Roberts goes through the studies and deciphers it for you. He provides infographics, graphs, and uh, in application, and then we record a podcast on it. So if you enjoy mass research review, you'll love our research roundup, especially because it's completely free. So tailoredcoachingmethod.com is another great place to go. Legionathletics.com is another great place. Uh, Legion is a, a supplement company that I've been, um, I've used for a long time uh, and we are working on something together in the near, near future um, as I'm recording this. Who knows when this will air? We'll see if it's already a, a, a like a public thing. But um, there's somebody I really respect because they're one of the first supplement companies to ever come out and say, training and nutrition come first. Um, they're also one of the only supplement studies I know that are, that are funding research to be done in which has nothing to do with supplementation. And what I mean by that is a lot of times supplement companies will uh, fund research that supports their supplement. So we want to do a BCA uh, study. Okay, well, who's funding it? guess what? A BCA company and they're hoping for a good result. Um, a pre-workout company, same thing. Like there was a pre-workout study. And if you look at who funded it, it was uh, Bang, the company that makes Bang. And they were trying to get evidence behind their supplement, which is totally understandable. But the cool thing about Legion is, for example, they're funding a lean gain study. How can we build as much muscle as possible without gaining any fat? That's a really cool study that has nothing to do with supplementation. It's all about training and nutrition. And they're funding it because they're contributing to the evidence-based fitness industry. And that's really important. But the reason I'm, I'm suggesting their content is because Mike Matthews, uh, who runs Muscle for Life podcast and the Legion Athletics uh, website, they put out a lot of good content. Uh, his podcast is really good. I've been on it a couple times. He's been on ours a couple times. Um, I'm actually reviewing his new book as we speak to, to give him some um, feedback in, in a blurb for it, um, which was an honor to hear that he wanted me to do that. But it's a it's an unbelievable book. I'm actually really excited for it to launch and, and to share it with you guys because he really does a good job of taking the evidence-based information and making it very simple for the average person wanting to just look better, build muscle, get stronger. Um, so can't say enough about Mike Matthews and the way he does content. He's very similar to me in a lot of ways. So I would recommend his spot for people who need more evidence-based information. Um, I will, I will say this too, like I'm going to say a few more companies that also uh, sell products, do coach and do all these things. 
this is not an endorsement whatsoever. I'm not everybody I'm speaking of right now. I'm actually not affiliated with at all. So I'll put some links in the show notes, but I don't make anything. I don't get anything. They won't even know <laughs> that I recorded this podcast most likely unless they listen, which some of them I doubt. Um, but this is just purely out of like, okay, where can you get good information? Where can you read good content to be better at being evidence based? Um, the, the, the next place, the fourth one podcasts, you should be listening to podcasts. Podcasts are the greatest way to become evidence-based because it's hearing interpretations of research. So just like mass research review, one of the reasons why I like it is because it's not a cut and dry study that they just share with us. It's their thoughts, interpretations, and advice on application of the research that came out, which is much different than just having research, right? And that's what podcasts do. When I'm speaking on the podcast, I'm speaking from real world experience and in, in what I have applied with the research, right? What research have I understood, studied, and used, and then applied it to clients, and how did that end up? Um, Danny Lennon has a great podcast. Stronger by Science has a great podcast. Iron Culture or 3DMJ has a great podcast. Um, Muscle for Life has a great podcast. There's so many out there. Barbell Shrugged, which I was actually just interviewed on, I think airs the same week this is coming out actually um, if I'm if I got my weeks right um, mind pump like just a, as many ones that you can listen to um, and just have a podcast of the day you know like have a podcast of the day not every podcast is dropping every single week you know so we're dropping Monday Tuesday Thursday Friday but um, very soon if not already we're changing that to Monday Wednesday Friday um, for a couple reasons uh, that I explained in another podcast when we made that announcement um, but that's only Monday, Wednesday, Friday. What other podcasts can you listen to? What podcasts can you listen to on the way to work and on the way home from work? What podcasts can you listen to while you're warming up and cooling down from the gym? Because maybe you need some Pantera or Metallica while you're training to get you going. I know I do. Um, but my point being is you should be listening to podcasts. So you, so we have like these different categories, right? We have research reviews. We have blogs, mine, Legion Athletics, stuff like that. Stronger by Science is another really good blog that is super in-depth. Um, then we have podcast, which I just broke down a bunch, but this is basically the, the simplified version of a blog, right? Blogs go really in depth. They give us a lot of written text, graphs, uh, uh, information, detailed, detailed things about the research. And then a podcast is almost like a review of that. It's like, let's hear the person actually speak authentically on the topic. So there's more experience to back that up. Um, next, I would say Google Scholar. A lot of people don't know this, but you can go to Google Scholar, which is a database of research, and you can type in any topic and you can set up notifications. So if you want to be notified every time an intermittent fasting uh, article or research study is done or a fat loss study or a uh, carbohydrate study, a keto study, a muscle growth study, you can punch that in with the keywords on Google and click notify. So at least three or four times a week, I get notified when new studies drop on certain topics that I have um, signed up to get notifications on. You can change your notification settings all the time to make it more specific, less, more broad. Um, for example, one of mine is fat loss. I'll get a, an email almost every day with five to 10 studies linked. And a lot of times I only pick out one or two because a lot of them are unapplicable to, to what I'm really after or what I'm really trying to learn or I've already seen them so on and so forth, um, or it's just a very short abstract and you have to be uh, sign up for a membership in order to get access to the full paper, so I'll skip it. Uh, but point being is, is I'm updated constantly. So Google Scholar is a really good way for people to just constantly be in the know and kind of have your finger on the pulse of what is coming out in the research. 
Um, and I think that kind of breaks down to like knowing where to search for information was the first thing I want to do because you should be consuming research reviews. You should be consuming um, Google Scholar, which is kind of like a research review, podcast and blogs on a regular basis. Um, and I guess the last thing I would say, actually, <laughs> there's three things, three last things that I'll, that I'll briefly say. First one is books. Obviously, you should be reading books. You know, there's so many great books. Um, Muscle and Strength Pyramids, Fat Loss Forever, uh, Science and Development of Hypertrophy. Um, there's a lot of bodybuilding books that are great. Um, Practical Programming for Strength Training. Uh, the Bigger, Linger, Stronger books, Wired to Eat. Um, I mean, I could keep going on. There's textbooks too, um, which gets me to my next point. You should be doing certifications. Even like I know I have clients. Um, shit, I have a professional wrestling client, which is really – I've, I've been really uh, blessed to work with a handful of them now. So I have uh, – four different professional uh, wrestlers who are on TV wrestling on my roster right now. One of them is getting a cert because he's like, man, I just love this shit. I want to learn. So he's just doing it to learn. He's not going to change his career. He's he's on the WWE. <laughs> but he's doing it to better understand the information he's getting provided to by his trainer and his nutritionist, right? And I think that's really cool. So I think doing certifications like NCI, PN, MNU, uh, NASM has a million different ones. I, I really like the PE, uh, PES, Performance Enhancement Specialist Cert. Um, and then workshops are kind of like certificates as well. John Rustin has a great one. Joe DeFranco has a great one. Um, there's so many out there that you can take. Uh, resistance Training Specialist is a great one. Um, FRC, if you're into that kind of stuff and you want to work on mobility and flexibility and things like that and integrate that into your training. Um, the, the list is countless, but you should be doing some kind of certificate if you are a coach. Um, if you are a trainee, you don't have to do this as much. I would say focus on weekend workshops or webinar workshops where it's just like a couple days on a webinar, a couple days in a gym where you're learning from somebody live. Um, or just like short courses versus like full blown. Like, I mean, MNU and uh, I have MNU, PN1, and PN2, and those are all year long courses. PN1 might not be, but PN2 is a year long course, MNU is a year long course. So it takes time, you know? So you might not have that time, and that's okay. But you should be trying to consume some higher end stuff. Um, and as coaches, you can really never have enough credentials to back you up, not only because it provides people with trust and security when they see what you have experience with, but it also teaches you so many different routes to take with individuals. So it, it really does make you a better coach. Um, I mean, as a collective in our team, we have over 40-something certificates and or degrees, and that's insane, you know, out of, out of seven coaches. So um, – we're never stopping. And then that doesn't even actually count for the different, like, like for example, we have multiple coaches who have uh, four to six years degrees in college. That's one cert. You know, that counts as one point. Um, but the amount of courses they took inside of a four to six year program at a university is insane. So um, you can never go wrong with that. So the first thing with, and this is probably going to be the longest note that I, that I hammer on in this podcast is knowing where to search for information. Where should you be finding your information? How do you decipher what that information looks like? Um, number two, understanding the research you are consuming. So it's not enough to just take in this research, but you have to truly understand it, which is why I love research reviews. It's why I love podcasts because they give you an interpretation. But 
what you should be doing is taking the research, what it says, and then try to actually apply it to somebody. A good example of this is the Matador study. The Matador study came out, and for those who don't know, um, I'm not going to try to say what Matador stands for because it's M-A-T-A, like it, it actually is an abbreviation of something. Um, but basically, it's intermittent caloric restriction. And what that means is they did two weeks on, two weeks off, two weeks on, two weeks off. So two weeks in a diet, two weeks off diet. What they found at the end of it is that taking those diet breaks led to most likely led to less physiological damage uh, or harm. So potentially, quote unquote, less metabolic adaptation, less muscle loss, st stuff like that. Um, but the same exact fat loss. So when that comes out, even myself, I hear, I hear that, like, you know, the title and the abstract says that was the result. I'm like, whoa, that's amazing. We can do these diet breaks. We can alternate these dieting weeks and we will get better results, hold more muscle and have less health issues afterwards. That's perfect. That's like the holy grail. Why wouldn't we want that? But if we dig deeper, we realize a couple things. One, the physiological response of the diet breaks may not have been as hormonal as the title makes it believe and how uh, people's interpretations are. Most likely what is going on is, is these diet breaks were allowing better adherence and they got better results because they actually stuck to the diet. And after a certain amount of time of dieting, these people got tired of dieting, right? So um, it, it, it was hard, right? So the, the non-intermittent group, the, the non-diet break group, I believe was 16 weeks. So 16 weeks of dieting, like by eight weeks, you're burning out. If you don't have a single refeed diet break, cheat meal, nothing, I guarantee those people were taking those meals and having those episodes because they didn't get any relief from the diet. Whereas the group that was taking diet breaks had more breaks along the way, which gave them better adherence. However, we also have to remember that the diet break group diet break group was 32 fucking weeks. It's hard to find people that commit to 32 weeks, right? Like you have to be like, Hey, we're going to get great results, but it's going to take eight months. Are you cool with that? Like what? That's a long time. So maybe we use diet breaks and this is the whole point of understanding the research you're consuming. Okay. We understand the principle behind what is going on here, but how does it actually work in a real life scenario? Let me talk to a client. Hey, how long can you commit to a diet for 12 weeks? Okay. I can't use this protocol, right? But what we do know is diet breaks help adherence. If we have better adherence and less stress, we most likely will have better physiological responses to the diet, be that less muscle loss, better performance, more fat loss, um, less metabolic adaptation, whatever it may be, it doesn't matter. How can we use diet breaks? It's not two weeks on, two weeks off is the answer. It's how can we use diet breaks? For some clients, it's every other week. Some clients, it's every second, every third, every fourth, every fifth, every sixth. Everybody's adherence and ability to withstand a diet is different, meaning everybody's diet fatigue accumulates at a different rate, and therefore, they need diet breaks at a different frequency. So all that being said is understanding the research you're consuming is very, very important. You have to read the research. You have to understand the research from somebody else's point of view, and then you have to put it into a case study format. So for you, the listener, seeing a study, understanding what the results were, hopefully seeing somebody else's interpretation of it, and then giving yourself like a mock client. Okay, if I had a client who committed to three months of coaching, four months coaching, even six months of coaching, how would I apply this research to them to get them the best results, not only to give them a fast progress so they get motivated and they start seeing results right away, but also to make sure that it's sustainable and I can teach them how to use this after we're done, right? That's understanding the research and applying it. So knowing where to start is the first thing, like knowing where to search for information, sorry, is the first thing. Understanding how to use that research is the second thing. The third thing on the list is distinguishing the difference between a study average and a human individual. And I posted a quote about this before on my Instagram, and that is, 
we are working with individuals. Studies are working with averages or something along those lines. I, I took it from Eric Helms. But it, it's a great quote because if we look at the average means of a study, let's say they take 50 people in a study, 25 male, 25 female, um, all uh, participating through the college, uh, all were sedentary, and um, we're going to put them on X diet, and we're going to see what happens. Okay, cool. On average, this was the result. However, out of the 50 people, there were 15 outliers, not, not even maybe a quarter of the people, right, were outliers, but that's not enough to dramatically drop the average. The average is still on a positive note. However, we had 15 people that didn't do that well with this diet. Well, guess what? You're going to work with a lot of outliers. That's why they're hiring you. They're hiring you most likely because they're outliers, because what they are trying isn't working. So right away, that, that kind of throws us a red flag. But let's, let's continue on down this, this kind of uh, this example. These individuals are from the college and they're sedentary and have no training experience or dieting experience. Okay, so you, you're putting them on a diet when they have no past dieting experience, which means most likely haven't been chronic dieting. They don't have high uh, physiological stress from dieting. Um, they're in college. So they have zero responsibility besides just doing schoolwork uh, and partying. So they probably don't have a ton of responsibility that's going to cause uh, mental, emotional, physiological stress. Um, and they've never trained before or dieted before. So they're so fresh into this game that they're probably going to respond very well. Okay, well, now that kind of basically removes the whole point of the study, right? Because that's an average based on a client that you're not seeing. Because I'm seeing an outlier who is also already training and has a history of dieting and has a stressful lifestyle but still wants to lose weight versus a client who has no experience, they're going to get newbie gains and has zero stress in their life that's going to affect them physiologically speaking. So two completely different things. Now, not all studies are like that. Some studies use, uh, even the Matador study was middle-aged men, so they weren't in college, so they probably had stressors, um, but they were overweight and sedentary. So of course they're going to lose more weight and that makes sense because they need to see meaningful progress done in a study to take any, to extrapolate any information from it. So if you get somebody that's already lean, it's going to be hard to get significant progress or significant results from a study because they don't have as much weight to lose. Um, but if we if we look at that, they're still sedentary. You might not be getting sedentary people. They still have never diet. You've never, you're probably getting people who have tried dieting before, or you're listening to this. Like I'm, I've been trying to diet. I can't figure it out. What do I do? Um, again, not all studies are like this. I know of studies that use bodybuilders. I know of studies that use, uh, advanced crossfitters. I know of studies that use endurance athletes. So there's, there's times where people do step into it not necessarily from a stress standpoint. I wish they would do a study on um, dieting for fat loss in a high stress uh, environment. And I think that would be extremely applicable to us, but they don't have that. And, and my point with this whole thing is you have to understand the difference between a study average and a human individual. You are working with human individuals who are most likely outliers and who are not going to immediately respond to something because they've tried it all and they've stressed out their body already. Most studies are based on averages and they are, they're you, uh, done on people who do not have that same stress, do not have that same experience and, and probably will adapt quicker to whatever they're providing, which makes more sense for a study because they need to see quick adaptations occur in order to see if something works. Um, something in a study might show significant results in eight weeks, whereas for me it takes 16 weeks because I have so much experience in the gym. Um, again, this kind of just goes back to understanding the research you're consuming and just knowing and distinguishing the difference between the study and what is actually going to happen in real life with a human individual. 
The next point, experience is evidence. Never forget that. I think a lot of people assume evidence-based means science-based or even worse, research-based. The thing is, is I have nine years of research done in the gym, right, with people hands-on or with myself, right? So we have to remember that experience is, is, is evidence. And, and being an evidence-based trainee, practitioner, coach, whatever it is, you need to understand that and you need to use experience as part of your, your, uh, your armory, part of your weapon. It's, it's part of your, your evidence inside of being evidence-based. Um, with that, I think there's things that you have to grab onto along your journey. So look at the programs you've done. You know, like I, I can recall specific programs that <laughs> I've done in the past that I look at now and I'm like, yeah, that method is not backed up by scientific principle. It's definitely bro science. There's nothing really to that. However, I got some of the best results I've ever gotten. Like, why is that, right? Um, and we're gonna get to this next about like the difference between methods and principles. But, but like the key with that is pretty simple. I I can look at that and go, okay, it worked really well. Why did it work? Let's figure that part out, right? There might be some science behind it. Or hey, I did this bro sciencey thing, but because I did that, it led to me doing this subconsciously and that's evidence-based um, and then I can take away like okay so it's not that bro science method that I did it's actually the principle behind it that it allowed me to adhere to right which we'll get to in a sec um, but the key is is you can't let go of experience like experience gives you that and when you're working with people holy shit that's a lot of research you have person after person after person which is study participant after participant after participant in a way those are your research studies are people how did things work so like the going back to the diet break topic you know there's a lot of information right now coming out that shows you know maybe diet breaks aren't as great as we thought they were especially hormonally right however i have extremely good experience with diet breaks like everybody i've used diet breaks on it helps so now i have to dig a little bit deeper okay well if it's not creating a direct physiological response what's going on because my experience says otherwise my experience shows physiological response why is that well maybe it's because an increase of carbs drops cortisol and because it spikes insulin insulin has an inverse relationship with cortisol cortisol lowers cortisol being lower you're going to retain less water you're going to feel better with your, your joints are going to feel better you're going to sleep better um, you're going to be less stressed out you're probably going to indirectly have hormonal benefits and fat loss Right? Or maybe it's just because you have better pumps in the gym. Like you have a, a, a diet break and you train hard in the gym, you burn more calories, and that speeds up weight loss. Um, I mean, there's a million different things. And if you speed up weight loss, you get to a body fat, lower body fat quicker, maybe you won't have to stay in the diet as long unless diet fatigue will accumulate, therefore reducing metabolic adaptation. Now, the diet break doesn't reduce metabolic adaptation, but if it makes the process of dieting faster, better, and more efficient, it might just lower metabolic adaptation. So again, I have to go, okay, what does the evidence say, the, the research say, and then what does my experience say? Put those two together, that's what being evidence-based is. That is evidence. Um, same thing with training. Why did that program work? What does the evidence say? What does the research say? Okay, cool. Put those two together, that is evidence-based. Um, and it's really, really important, which leads me to my next point. You have to know the principles, always overrule the methods. So. The, the principle is adherence and diet efficiency, right? How can we make this diet more efficient for you and allow you to adhere to it better, right? The method might be a diet break. It might be carb cycling. It might be intermittent fasting. 
right? It might be a, a straight shot, like diet phase with a maintenance phase, diet phase, maintenance phase, and they're longer blocks of time. The, the principle is getting you to adhere and be more efficient and effective with your diet. The method changes, right? So, so methods are almost always just simply a route to better adhere to the principles. That's all it is. I, I say this quote all the time. Methods are many, principles are few. Methods often change, principles never do. So another good example of this is calories. Research shows that calories in versus calories out matters. It matters. It matters more than anything. It's probably going to lead to better health, less body fat. Um, it's going to lead to more muscle if you, if you do the energy balance equation correctly. It's going to lead to better performance <clears throat> more than a type of food will, right? So I don't think you should not focus on the type of food you're eating or, or like ignore food quality because I don't agree with that. However, we know that calories kind of are king. They overrule, right, the, the big picture. So what is the method in getting into that calorie deficit essentially, right? So if you need to accomplish a calorie deficit to lose weight, the method might be intermittent fasting. It might be keto. It might be carb cycling. It might be high carb, low carb. It might be high protein. It might be um, alternate day fast. It might be a modified protein sparing fast on alternate weeks. It might be using diet breaks. It might be using refeeds. There's so many ways to go. It might just be a straight shot deficit, right? It might be tracking macros. It might be intuitive eating. There's, a, there's so many methods to accomplish a calorie deficit. But the point is, is you have to know these principles and you have to understand that they're, they overrule everything, right? Volume and intensity kind of overrule everything. So like, yeah, exercise selection matters. Yeah, exercise sequencing in a workout matters. Yeah, your training split matters, your frequency. Like these things matter, progression model, periodization, they matter, but really it boils down to, are you organizing your volume and intensity in the proper way and dosages to get to the result you wanna to get to? You want to just maximize muscle growth? You should probably lean more on the volume than the intensity. You want to maximize your strength and performance? You should probably lean on the intensity versus the volume, right? And, and those are the principles. But the methods in doing so is where we look at training splits. We look at rest periods. We look at tempos. We look at exercise selection. We look at um, equipment. We look at uh, programming tools like EMOMs, EDTs, AMRAPs, uh, 531 percentages. Those are all methods. The principle is training progressive overload, right? Accomplished through volume and intensity. So there's always going to be principles that are backed up. And if you look at like all the hypertrophy studies, it's like, oh yeah, like more volume, more growth, more volume, more growth, more volume, more growth. Very rarely ever um, do they say less volume. And I will say the only, like one of the only studies I'm aware of that says less volume is better and they did like five sets per muscle group per week and it outperformed 10 and 15. I believe it was 10 and 15. Um, is by a researcher who also came out with another study um, who has, uh, ha which has gotten debunked by a lot of researchers and he's like going quiet and not talking about it. So it's hard for me to trust the literature that's coming out of his lab. But point being is 99% of studies show more volume equals more growth. doesn't mean it's an infinite relationship and you should just keep adding more and more and more volume. But it does show us one simple thing. The principle of hypertrophy and muscle growth is that higher volume programs most likely work. Volume is a very good distinguish, distinguishing factor of hypertrophy. It's a good tool to use in order to accomplish more hypertrophy, plain and simple, period, right? So um, methods are many, principles are few. Methods often change, principles never do. You have to know the principles and that they overrule everything, almost always, um, and that methods are really just a simple route to better adhere to those principles, right? The next part of being evidence-based, so we've gone through quite a bit. We've gone through one, two, three, four, five, and now this is number six. 
Um, use data and track metrics. That's a big thing in our uh, company because we believe that it's important. We believe that you should be tracking metrics. You should be using data points about an individual because that's how we make it individualized and that's how we better adjust the program. But that's also how you make it evidence-based. Um, intuitive eating isn't evidence-based, right? Because intuitive eating is a method in order to solidify the principle. It, it really is. Like if you are successfully intuitively eating, it means you are successfully eating intuitively in a deficit or in a surplus or eating the right caloric expenditure, the right caloric balance in order to achieve the, the results that you're getting. Um, however, it, it's not a evidence-based practice. Tracking macros is and in, in mainly using data, right? So if you are tracking macros, you are tracking weight, you are tracking hours of sleep, you are tracking stress levels, you are tracking mood and motivation, you are tracking PRs in the gym, progressive overload, um, digestion, all these different things, not all of them have to be constantly tracked, but most of them should uh, on a weekly basis and some on a daily basis. If you're doing that, you are using data points about an individual to make evidence-based adjustments along the way. Numbers don't lie. And when I see numbers about how somebody is responding to the diet, responding to training, then I can make evidence-based guidance because I know what I see and what is going to happen if I do X, Y, Z with the adjustments, right? But that's being evidence-based. Being evidence-based is literally the act of tracking uh, metrics and using data about an individual alongside the data that we get from research studies and making experienced, educated guesses on what to do next, plain and simple. Um, and there's not much I'm going to go into on that. I think everybody should be tracking data. Like I, I, you know, I truly believe that tracking macros, tracking your biofeedback is the best way to guarantee a result. doesn't mean that you need to do this forever. And I tell people this all the time, like, Hey, if you want to eventually be intuitive with this, you should probably track macros for a while because it's going to teach you how to be intuitive. Um, but not only that, you should be tracking macros to get right to the result. So if you start tracking macros and you use them properly, it's going to speed up the progress you see because it's it's more predictable. I can adjust your numbers to predict a result. If you're reverse dieting and we know you have some hormonal issues going on, I need to see data and, and track metrics because otherwise I can't increase your calories and macros if we're not tracking them. I can't see if you're doing better if I if I can't see if your sleep's better, your mood's better, your stress is better, your performance is better. So it, it, to be an evidence-based practitioner, I, I truly believe that you do need to track and use data and metrics um, in, in one way or another because not only is it going to better educate you on how to get results for yourself or for others, but it's also literally the way of an evidence-based practitioner. It's, it's using research. It's using data. It's using the numbers that we see in research and in experience to predict a better result for a client. Um, and the last thing is don't proclaim things that aren't backed by science in the slightest. Um, it doesn't mean bro science stuff doesn't work because there are times, like I said, bro science stuff does work um, because either A, we can't really study that topic very well or B, it allows better adherence to the principles and they get a better result because of it. You know, like, uh, I mean, it, there's a, there's so many bodybuilding tactics that are super bro science that aren't really backed by, by research, but we can't, it's, it's hard to study bodybuilders because they're unwilling to change what they're doing for a study. Um, and it, sometimes it's just hard to create a study to, pre, to give a significant result on what we are trying to, to learn about. Right. Um, but if you don't have any evidence to back up what you're talking about, whether that's, um, Hey, 
this worked with my clients. I don't know why. I don't have science to back it up, but it works every time. This is how I do it. And this is what my, my theoretical thoughts are on as to why it works. Or, hey, this strategy works. There's no research on it. However, when we do this, we better adhere or follow or practice X, Y, Z, which is backed up by science. Right? But the point is, is you're not proclaiming things that aren't backed up by science. There's a lot of people coming out and speaking on intermittent fasting and insulin sensitivity and things like that that have no research to back up what they're talking about. And they're confusing people, and it's really frustrating. Um, it's, I'm thankful for people like Lane Norton who calls them out right? because somebody needs to. And, and these things are, are screwing with people's head and, and not teaching them the fundamental principles that actually matter for better progress. So the last thing I'm going to leave you guys with is for coaches mainly, don't proclaim things that aren't backed up by uh, science or, or evidence in the slightest. Like you need to have experience. You need to have research to back it up. Um, and yeah, and I think like the, the last note I will say is that being an evidence-based practitioner, again, I just want to reiterate this, is not just knowing research. It's not just being knee deep in research all the time. It's, it's understanding the research, knowing where to find science and what science looks like, and then having a lot of experience to collaborate with that science in order to get the best result possible for yourself or the clients that you are coaching. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, Head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the nutrition hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.